it's Ken Rosenthal in his secret location in at home, uh, joining us uh, for a lot to get to. So, Ken, how are you? And I want to dive right into the San Diego Padres story that was released by yourself and Dennis Lynn uh, on The Athletic about 24 hours ago. Can you take us through, and I know it was a long article, I guess the most important part, I mean, there was a lot of great information in there. The most important part that stood out to you that was surprising about how this team is operating and why it's led to some disappointment. I don't know that any of it was surprising, Scott. We've heard about these things that we reported for quite some time. And it was just a matter of confirming them, getting them to print, and just kind of putting a story together. The gist of the article, for those who might have not read it, is that the Padres' problems were not just on the field this season, they are off the field as well. And it's not necessarily what people think. People think, oh, these four superstars they have, those guys don't get along. That's not what we heard. What we heard was more of an organization-wide problem with the president of baseball operations, A.J. Preller's management style. He can be a micromanager in the opinion of some. He is a hard worker. There's no question about that. He is a brilliant evaluator. There's no question about that either. But it's the handling of people, the way he goes about running the organization. That is what has come into question. And that really is the gist of what Dennis and I wrote. Let me ask you this, Ken. Um, When talking about Manny Machado, he's one guy that always comes up in these conversations, being a leader, um, you know, sometimes being forced to do things that he doesn't want to do. Do you... For me, and personally, I, I, I'm a big fan of Manny Machado's. I feel like sometimes he gets the wrong end of the stick at some times. But for me, do you see him being a problem? Or like, is that, or it's just somebody looking for a leader there in the clubhouse to you know, fix some things going on with this whole season? Todd, first of all, you can't ask a player to be something he's not. And Manny Machado, I don't even know that he would disagree, is not a classic leader. He's not a rah-rah guy. He's not consistently there every day, consistent in his behavior, consistent in his actions. He can be like that. Certainly at times he is like that. But the leadership he provides is more of the example variety. And I'm not talking about running the bases so much as I'm talking about just posting. And you guys know the value of that, just playing the game, getting out there, even if you're physically compromised on a given day and contributing to your team or doing your best to contribute to your team. Since 2005, 15, Manny Machado is second in the majors in games played. Second to only Paul Goldschmidt. That is a form of leadership. And if you're going to complain about Manny Machado as a leader, well, if you're the San Diego Padres and you have that complaint, you knew before you signed him to this extension who he was, his strengths and weaknesses. This is not a secret to them. He had been with the club four years before they gave him 11 more and $350 million. It kind of overlapped the two deals, but you get my drift. And that is why the talk of Manny not being a leader, okay, that's fine, but the Padres knew that. That's not the issue here. And really, someone in the article described it as more, it's four guys who all are great players, big names, big contracts. Soto doesn't have his big contract yet, but he will. And it's kind of, figuring out which one of those should step to the front at a given time. But we didn't have this question last year with the Padres when they reached the NLCS. It becomes a question when you don't win. And really, the whole article, all of the issues we talked about, the rift between Preller and Bob Melvin, the manager, the issues of leadership, the performances, 
offensively. They weren't problems last year. They reached the NLCS last year. But when you lose, it's a much different story. And some of these fissures have come to the surface now. Some of these cracks are showing that didn't necessarily show before. So, Ken, what's next? And I've got two layers here. Number one, you can't run the same team back. Why? Because Blake Snell and Josh Hader are free agents after this year. You are missing a massive part of your pitching staff unless they re-sign both of them, which, I mean, chances are not likely they're bringing everyone back. So that's one side of things from like the player construction point of view in the offseason. The other part is when does someone take a fall? And it's hard not to look at an article like yours and the results on, on the field and say, AJ Preller has been there for a decade. They've made the playoffs two times. One was the COVID season. Last year was definitely strong, but it's not like he's Brian Cashman and they won titles years back. They spent a lot of money. We're seeing an article like yours about some interesting communication tactics that probably are not the best when you have a lot of people behind the scenes saying that they don't like the way that Preller is necessarily communicating um, with everyone else. I mean, this seems obvious to me. I'm wondering... Is ownership held back because of a loyalty thing, because they don't want to blow it up front office wise and feel like there'll be too much, you know, lack of continuity starting next year? Help help us figure this out. To this point, Scott, there is no hint that AJ Preller is in trouble. The owner, Peter Seidler, really is fond of AJ Preller, almost like a son to some degree. And I think that's a little bit strong, of course, because it's not his son, but he is quite fond of A.J. Preller, thinks the world of him, sees for sure his strong qualities. At the same time, all of the things you mentioned about his record are correct. And he's also spent a ton of money, draft, internationally, payroll, to get the results that you just mentioned. One winning season in a full season in his entire nine-year tenure. If Bob Melvin leaves or is fired, then that's six managers in 10 years. That's an unheard of number for a general manager who stays in place. So I don't know where this is going, but certainly questions can be asked about why this is continuing. We'll have to see how it all plays out. Now, as for the roster itself, Scott, you make a good point. Snell and Hader are free agents. You also have some other pitchers. Waka, Lugo, Nick Martinez have options or club options, player options, all these things that need to be resolved. Some of them could end up in free agency too. So they're going to need to rebuild their pitching staff. And they know, or at least they believe, that their payroll is not going to be at this level that it was this year forever. They understand that at some point they have to take a step back. Now, it's not going to be all the way back to where the Padres used to be. They're in a much different place from a revenue standpoint. They're drawing perhaps $3.3 million this year, second or third in the league in attendance. That is an amazing accomplishment. But to sustain that attendance, you have to win. So it's kind of a balance that they're going to have to strike here. And it's going to be really interesting to see how they play this offseason because there are some glaring holes that are going to arise. And yes, they have payroll flexibility still within where they are. They're over $100 million committed for next year, plus Soto. But they can do some things. Of course, there'll be competition for all these pitchers as well. Ken, so great to see you. Um, just so you know, I don't like to read much, but when you put something out there, you know I have to. Uh, I, I love what you do. So here, I, I got a question for you. The, the hire that Preller brought in, uh, Don Tricker, you wrote he's the director of player health and performance. Um, 
there was a part that says that some of the players or, or personnel think that he was kind of a spy uh, for the front office. Uh, can you speak briefly on that? Like how true is that? And does most of the team feel that way? Danny, we don't write things unless they're true. It's good to see you as well. <laughs> if we don't have enough sourcing to support that, we wouldn't have written it. Now, is it the whole team? I don't know if it's the whole team. You guys know this. Some players care about this stuff. Some players are tuned out. They're into themselves. They don't really care about what's going on around them. So I can't say it's the whole team. I don't have that definitively said or anything like that. But he is someone who was brought in. He was with the All Blacks in New Zealand, the rugby team, very successful. He's got some interesting background. And he's been around for several years now. But the role that he has makes some people uncomfortable. And that's what really the point of that section was about, that here's a guy that makes people kind of uneasy and they feel like, whoa, what's he doing here? And when you're running a baseball team, I don't know that it's healthy to have that kind of feeling. Now, there are people who believe, managers who believe, not managers of baseball team, but managers of businesses, that stirring up a little unrest is good. Keeping people uncomfortable is good. The Padres definitely seem to do that under Preller. I don't know that everyone thinks it's good. All right, let me switch gears. Um, Shohei Otani, the whole big saga going on with him. He's got the arm. He just had the surgery done to repair what, what was most likely Tommy John. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. But when I hear anything Tommy John or hear anything repair-wise, uh, it doesn't sound too good to me. So he's not going to pitch next year, which we know. Um, but you did repost something about you know how he's not going to get his nice farewell from the Angels, and I agree. It's like it just seems like off with the wind. See you later, and uh, you know we'll never remember him playing for the Angels kind of deal, which we will. But you know what? What are your thoughts on that as well? First off, Todd, it's curious that they didn't announce what kind of surgery it is. You don't need to hide the ball here. You're going to have to tell all the teams what kind of surgery he had. When he's a free agent, you can tell the world it's okay. But <laughs> Otani, his agent, Nezbalelo, whoever, likes to operate in a shroud of secrecy. I don't know where the order is coming from there, but it's a little silly just to start off with. Is it Tommy John? Is it Tommy John plus an internal brace, which is a surgery that a lot of pitchers have had now? Is it solely the internal brace, which would allow him to get back quicker? We don't know. We do know his goal is to return as a hitter by opening day. And that is significant because when he goes into the free agent market, teams are going to want him as soon as possible. Now, in my mind, whether he's ready as a hitter opening day or May 1st, it shouldn't make that much of a difference. No one should rush this. He should not rush this. The team that signs him should not rush it. Most likely, the team that signs him is going to be entering into a long-term arrangement with Otani. So if it takes another month, it takes another month. But I can understand from a marketing standpoint why they are saying publicly, and I'm sure they will tell the teams privately, that the plan is to be ready as a hitter by opening day. And if that's the case, great. And if it's not the case, I don't think it's that big a deal. Do you think, do you, are you, you know, like Todd said, do you wish that there was a better send-off here? Do you feel like the communication has been strange? Not just that he obviously on his camp is usually a little bit, um, mysterious and not always very transparent. He doesn't talk to the media a lot, but even just the relationship with him and the team 
some Angels fans have been all over my case on social media. Stop hating on the Angels. I'm like, this. I've been around the game long enough. The way that this process has gone down seems strange. Like the communications coming from him and then to them, and they just kind of floated out there. That's true, and that's the way they've set it up from the beginning. They have empowered him in ways that few players are empowered. And of course, to some degree, they had to do that because he was doing something revolutionary. He was becoming a two-way player and he knew his body best. And of course, to some degree, he was going to dictate how he was used, working in concert with them, but at the same time, having a very strong voice. That was understandable. The media stuff, I'm not as understanding about. It's, to me, a little much, but at the same time, I will grant this, that as a two-way player, you have unique preparation responsibilities that go beyond anything we've ever seen. So availability before games, that would be tough, I can understand, in many cases. But he could speak more than he does, put it that way. So going forward, I would imagine his next team empowers him the same way. But his relationship with the Angels, Scott, I have never once gotten the impression that it's bad. His agent says it's not bad. The Angels say it's not bad. And this whole weird ending when he cleaned out his locker and all of that, I don't know that we should read too much into that or not. And as far as a send-off, there is no reason why at the last home game, Otani cannot come out there in his sling or whatever, get introduced, wave to the crowd, and have his send-off that way. I, I would think that the Angels would want that. I would think even he would want that. Now, maybe the Angels don't want to concede that he's leaving, but at the same time, it's the right thing to do. I hope they do that and understand the situation. Okay, let's go to Florida. The Rays seem like they're going to have a new ballpark. I always say seem nowadays because, I mean, we've been back and forth with Oakland and Vegas and still somewhat to be continued. But can you convince me, and, you know, we don't have Krasinski on today, that this is the right decision as far as location and what you've heard. I spoke to some raised people over the last 48 hours, you know, team employees that were not thrilled based on the location. Cause that's been the big chatter about raising attendance. So I know that, you know, they're getting what they want from St. Petersburg to an extent, they're going to try and build up a little area. And that's the dream of all of the owners at the same time, but attendance isn't good to me. That brings an entire league down. And that's been a problem for the Rays even now when they're freaking good. So what are your thoughts on the ballpark um, construction that's going to go down and open them up in 2028? Scott, it seems to me their preference has always been Tampa, if they could get to Tampa. And for whatever reasons, and I'm not that up to date on the political processes that have gone on in both cities, but they feel that the more realistic deal is in St. Petersburg. And I will say this about St. Petersburg, and I was not aware of it. I was there a few weeks ago for a Fox game, and... I talked on the field with Stuart Sternberg, their owner, and he explained to me that St. Petersburg as a city is much different than it was 10, 20, 30 years ago. It's kind of booming in its own way. So while it's not Tampa and while you, the population up in Tampa is still going to have a difficult time getting down there, you're building a 30,000-seat stadium, development around it. If you have a good enough team, I would think with the area seemingly growing you should be able to draw. Now, if you can't draw under these circumstances with all that they have planned, and what they want to do, of course, is a 30,000-seat retractable roof stadium with a battery-type condominium development complex right next to it, just like Atlanta, which has the battery. Whether it happens, it seems like it will now. This is the furthest they've been along. 
It's not totally done yet, but it seems that the politicians are relatively on board and will approve what has to be approved here. So is it the ideal scenario? Maybe not, because till the Tampa Bay area has the larger population, it's more accessible to a greater number of people. But the Rays certainly believe that this can work. And I don't know that they would be putting this much effort into it if they didn't feel it could work, right? They would just maybe say, we'll take Nashville or we'll take Portland or we'll take whatever the case might be. Instead, they see their future as being tied up into this ballpark development complex. And that seems to be the way of the future. Much like Camden Yards ushered in this age of new age ballparks, the truest park with the battery adjoining, that's something every team wants now. St. Louis has it to a degree as well. That's where Tampa Bay is as a franchise. It's a better place than they were yesterday or two days ago before this was announced. Whether it's the right place, Scott, yes, that remains to be seen. The Baltimore Orioles are really good. We know that. And uh, we didn't know that at the beginning of the year, but seeing how these young guys keep coming up, one guy after another come in, we're like, ah, another boom, dominates, dominates. They've been doing well. Do you see their pitching rotation keeping up in these playoffs? What, what would you say your answer to that one be? Just pitching-wise alone. We know they can hit. They've been doing well against Houston. Is the starting rotation going to step up? Todd, I believe they will step up. The question really is, are they good enough? Bradish, one of the top ERAs in the league. Grayson Rodriguez is one of the top pitching prospects, if not the best pitching prospect in the game. They've also got Dean Kramer. They can use Gibson and Flaherty and do some other things as well if they need to in a fourth game of a five-game series. But it is a concern for sure that against a team like, for instance, Toronto, Seattle, even Tampa Bay, they don't match up as evenly as they would probably like to in terms of starting pitching. They do a lot of other things right, and I know they've got Felix Bautista down, probably not coming back, but their bullpen has still been really good, though not so much maybe of late. They're a very good, resilient, competitive team. And the thing that strikes me most about them is as young as they are, they have this knack for coming back in games. They are quite able to do that, and they do it frequently. But starting pitching is a little bit more important in the playoffs than it might be over the course of 162. And yes, this is the question with them. Now, Bradish and Rodriguez can dominate. There's no question about that. And if that happens, they patch it together with the other two games in a series, they'll be okay. But yes, I'm worried about that for them as much as I am any particular aspect of any playoff team. So, Ken, you kind of answered that question. I was going to ask you a question about Bautista and Cano about how if you're shocked that the bullpen was so good still after Bautista. But um, I'll go another direction. Which team do you think, the Orioles or the Rays, need this first round by more? Hmm. I would say the Orioles. They fought hard. They have used their players. While they have incredible depth on the position side, they could use some rest for their pitchers. There's no question about that. I would imagine the Rays would say the same thing. The Rays, my goodness, they've had attrition like no other team, really, with their starting pitching. They still have Glass now, of course. They still have Eflin. They still should be okay in a postseason series. Aaron Savali has stepped in nicely as well. But all teams want that, Danny. You know this. They want those few days to rest their pitchers. And, yes, you might sacrifice some momentum. We all understand that. But it's not that long. 
a rest period now with the wild card series being three games in three days. So I still would say the Orioles just to get their bullpen back rested and get their starting pitching in order. Hey, Ken, I mentioned this yesterday, but does a manager like Brandon Hyde actually get pissed when he looks at Pakoda projections? Now, I can understand most people in general making any type of prediction, not putting the Orioles as the division winner, but Pakoda is like so safe with what they put out there. I feel like when I look at it, like everyone's winning 80 games. <laughs> Pakoda, I believe, Scott had the Orioles at 74 and Fangraphs at 78. It was something like that. Don't quote mm-hmm. me, but it was close to that. Okay. And does a manager truly get upset about that? I don't know. If I was a manager, and I tell this to fans all the time, when they get, oh, how come you said the Orioles were only going to win 82 games? Who cares what I think? Who cares what Pakoda thinks? Who cares what Fangraphs thinks? When your team outperforms all these projection systems and all these supposedly brilliant writers, hats off to them. And that's a great accomplishment. It's a great accomplishment anyway to win as many games as the Orioles have. So do I think Brandon Hyde was truly upset when he made those comments? No. I believe, though, what he was saying is that all these smart people who thought they had this figured out, they didn't see in my team what I saw in my team. And keep in mind, the projection systems go purely on numbers and objective data. There is more to this game than that. We see that. We know that. It plays out every year. No matter how much we try to analyze it and break it down, teams come together. Teams fall apart. Injuries happen. Trades happen. All kinds of things happen. And in the Orioles' case, they have gelled in a way that I don't believe many expected. And they've also gotten more out of their young players who matured quicker than perhaps these projection systems and writers believe that they would. Yeah, their development process has been ridiculous. It's, it's a good call there. Ken, happy belated birthday from earlier Thanks. this week. Yeah. We appreciate you. And Thanks, uh, we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good, Scott. Thanks. Thank you. And let's show a little Fair Territory promo too right there on your screen. Episodes every Monday, except next week. They've got the, the holiday, the Jewish holiday. So he'll be on Tuesday with uh, the show on YouTube and on Apple and on Spotify. Oh, Ken's back Friday.